Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter, at Will McFadden. And please, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends and family about it. We are, you know, really less than a week away from actual training camp heating up. The Falcons players are expected to report July 27th. The first public practice that the team will hold for training camp is July 31st. So, we right around the corner. Uh, this this feed is really going to be heating up once all of the action does. That's when I really hopefully will get to share a lot of the insight that I've gleaned over the years from being able to cover the team up close and be fortunate to do so. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to make it up to a training camp practice or two if my schedule permits to be able to maybe, maybe talk to uh, some players, some coaches, uh, some media members, and maybe get a little bit of a feel for how everything is going. Um, today we're going to get into a bunch of different things with the cold open. Uh, I'm going to kind of break down what to believe, what not to believe in training camp and, you know, what could be some false flags. And then later on, I have an interview with Falcons long snapper, Josh Harris, who is one of my favorite people to cover and is now going on his 10th season in Atlanta, his 10th training camp. So that was a lot of fun. Stay tuned. But first... July is underway and a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. With the NBA Finals ending and the MLB heading into the second half of the season, there's plenty of betting action to get involved in. And if you're a football better, there are tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, coming back into it. Uh, Before we begin and before I kind of talk about training camp and we get to the Josh Harris interview, I really want to take a second and just send, you know, my thoughts, uh, prayers, well wishes to Greg Knapp uh, and his family. I had the opportunity to get to to know Greg Knapp a little bit. You know, I I didn't talk to him a lot, but every time I did, he was, you know, really jovial, really always upbeat, just seemed to love being around football, really fortunate to getting to do what he has done for a really long time. And he's one of the best in the business and has developed a lot of great quarterbacks. And, you know, if you hadn't heard, he was uh, struck while he was bicycling near his home in California and is in pretty critical condition. The New York Jets put out a statement uh, yesterday, which would be Wednesday or Tuesday, I should say, and 
just asked for everybody to please keep him in their thoughts, and I am asking the same. So shout out to to Greg Knapp, to his family. I wish him nothing but the best, and I will keep him in my thoughts uh, during this time. So let's get into a little bit of football talk, which, you know, there's no easy way to transition from that, but I want to talk a little bit about what what should you believe and what should you not believe when you hear media reports coming out of training camp? Because having seen four training camps, and, and I'll preface all of this by saying those were all Dan Quinn training camps. So I have no idea what Arthur Smith, what he's going to value, how he's going to conduct things, uh, you know, what what to really put a ton of stock in or not. But if if you've been around, I, I think, enough, you kind of understand that there's not a whole lot that changes as much as we all kind of put a ton of stock into one small change, you know, one small player being brought over, or how a new scheme is going to really unlock everything. Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't uh, because this is a copycat league. And if things have been seen long enough, then teams are going to know how to cover it. And, and a lot of teams copy from one another and, and really conduct a lot of practices the same because a lot of coaches have been in a lot of different organizations over the years. So with all of that being said, uh, there are some things that I do believe that fans kind of fall for a little bit when they hear stuff coming out of training camp and makes them excited, and then it never really pans out. On the opposite end, it may be stuff that we don't talk about a ton that actually I've seen kind of may matter a little bit more, and, and we don't give enough credence to that. So let's start with uh, I've got three things that fans should believe and three things fans shouldn't believe if they hear it coming out of Falcons training camp this year. The first thing you should believe if you hear it is if a highly drafted rookie looks as advertised. So if we start hearing about Kyle Pitts really truly dominating a lot of the the first team defenders and and really and I'm not talking about one-on-ones, I'm talking about in scrimmages and 11 on 11 periods in the red zone things like that. But if it looks like man, this guy really just nobody can even the best players can't really keep up with him or he's at least giving them a fight I would put a lot of stock into that. I, I'll take you back to 2018. And the first time that I saw Calvin Ridley out on the field, and granted it was rookie minicamp, but the dude had at least 10 yards of separation, I feel like every single time the quarterback threw him the ball. And, and it was on every kind of route. It was on a, a deep out route. It was on a comeback route. It was on a quick slant. And I thought to myself, well, okay, it's just rookie minicamp. Let's see what happens when training camp rolls around. Same thing. Just even against established guys, he was finding ways to get open in in ways that you know only the really good players in the league do and we've come to see that that panned out and that he is one of the true elite route runners in this game and that was what he was billed as coming out of college and i saw it right away and it was as good against nfl competition because he was doing it against elite sec defenders week in and week out and i put a lot of stock in that same thing last year aj terrell I remember sitting there just saying, man, he looks really confident. He just looks like he belongs on an NFL field against good receivers, against guys like Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. And he had a pretty good rookie year, if I if I would say so, or if I remember correctly. So uh, I do put a lot of stock into if, if you expect a guy to be young and good quickly, if he's a higher draft pick and he starts looking like he belongs sooner rather than later, that's probably a good sign. So if Richie Grant comes out here and has you know, four interceptions, but just makes a lot of PBUs throughout training camp and just looks like he has a swagger about himself, that's going to be a really good sign for Atlanta's secondary. 
the number one, or not number one, but the first thing that you shouldn't believe if you hear it coming out of training camp, anything scheme related outside of just basic, simple stuff. And yes, I know the Falcons are totally kind of changing up their offensive and defensive scheme. So there is going to be stuff that you're going to want to put a little bit more stock into for that reason alone. But I, you know, I think back to when Dirk Cutter first came back to Atlanta in before the uh, 2019 season, and it was supposed to kind of be the same Falcons offense, the staple that Kyle Shanahan introduced in 2015. And I really wondered how that was going to work because Dirk traditionally has been more of a vertical oriented guy. He wants his passing attack to be more downfield to really stress a defense deep. And I just didn't know how those two concepts were going to marry. And they kind of really didn't. But fast forward to 2020, it seemed like the Falcons were really going to try to go back to they're going to marry the run game with the play action pass and utilize a little more bootleg outside zone runs, these stretch zone, all of that stuff. And in training camp, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, hey, they, they may actually have gotten this figured out. We saw a lot of bootlegs in camp. I mean, there was a whole practice where I feel like I saw nothing but play action rollouts from from Matt Ryan. And, and he was connecting on a, a good bit of those with Hayden Hurst down the seam or, or with, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley kind of dragging along the, the play, Russell Gage. Um, he was finding some guys. But then as the regular season rolled around, it converted back to what Dirk Cutter has traditionally done and, and what he's comfortable doing. And that's what play callers, you know, in my limited experience, tend to do. So out, yes, we're going to see them use more of a zone blocking scheme. We're going to see, you know, more different fronts on the defense, but they're not going to show anything real or substantive, especially with only three preseason games until week one, week two, week three, week four. Like that's really when you're going to figure out, okay, this is what this team's going to want to do. You're not going to hear that from, you know, anybody who's covering the team up there during training camp because they're not going to see it. All right, the second thing that you should believe if you hear it coming out of training camp, if if a second or third year player starts getting talked about with a lot of hype or it starts opening a lot of eyes from two of these three key groups. So you need two of these three, one being the media, two being the coaching staff, three being the players. Players don't want to talk about themselves. Coaches don't want to single out players for negativity. But those two groups will talk about a player that they think is really stepping up and coaches will heap praise on a player that they have been impressed by because there's nothing wrong with that. So a lot of coaches aren't really going to throw players under the bus, especially in training camp, you know, under the, or they're not going to put them in the doghouse. So, but they will really try to motivate. And sometimes they try to motivate players who aren't actually performing. And that can be another mixed bag because they're trying to get the most out of them in training camp. And so they may try to give them a little bit of a confidence boost. I don't know if Arthur Smith strikes me as that kind of guy. But certainly if you hear the players talking about a guy, the coaches talking about a guy, or the media talking about a guy, two of those three, that means that there is something going on there. And I, I think back to Russell Gage last year is a good, I guess, point for this it, because it was, we had seen little flashes of it in his second season when he had to step up into that, into that third receiver role. But then last year was kind of his first year in training camp really taking on that role. And you could just feel confidence about him a little bit. He looked much more involved in the offense. Like they had a plan for how to use him. And when we asked coaching coaches, yeah, they, they said Russ has done everything we need him to do. He's a guy on the rise. 
I saw that with my own two eyes. And I, I think that we saw that he is at least very well suited to that role. Now, that may be all he's ever suited for. I don't know if he's going to take another huge jump, but he's a really good receiver in the NFL. And that's not what we were expecting to see when he was drafted in 2018. So that's another thing that I think you can believe is if you start hearing hype about, you know, a younger guy who's on the rise and, and maybe in his second or third year, because by year four, we kind of know what you are. But that is hype that I will buy into as long as it's coming from multiple sources. The The second thing I would kind of stay away from would be really anything that happens in the trenches or with the running backs. It's just, it's not real football down there. It, at, during training camp, even you can talk about putting the pads on, doing scrimmages, things like that. It's just not the same. And because it's not the same, you really can't gauge much of anything. Now, coaches can. They can go back, they can review the film, they can break down dozens and dozens and dozens of reps. But because these guys are going against each other every single day and they're going against each other during the kind of one-on-one periods, they know their moves. They talk to each other. They're trying to help each other as much as they're trying to compete against each other because at the end of the day, they are still on the same team. So it wouldn't shock me at all to see Grady Jarrett give advice to one of these young guards. If, if he beats Jalen Mayfield, Grady's the type of player who's going to say, dude, I don't care about winning in training camp. I care about winning in November. So here's how I beat you. Here's how to counter this, which then may lead to Jalen Mayfield blocking and shutting down Grady Jerry in an 11 on 11 period. And we're all sitting here saying, damn, Jalen Mayfield looks really good. It's just misleading. It's just not the same. And that's not to say that you can't take some key stuff away from it. I thought Chris Lindstrom looked really good as a rookie. And I think he's proven out to be a pretty good player. But that that is just as likely to fail as it's as likely to succeed. And same with the running backs, because they're not really getting tackled. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to discern what is a what would be a three-yard gain in an NFL game versus what turns out to be a 15-yard run just because the linebacker didn't light him up in the hole and just let him go. And the running backs are coached, keep running. Don't stop until you hit the end zone. And all the defenders are coached to keep chasing him down. So definitely don't put much of anything in in the trenches or the running backs. Everything else, I think, is fair game. You know, if if a wide receiver is lighting it up in, in scrimmages, well, yeah, it's probably at least a little bit more reciprocal than than to what we'll see on on Sunday. Same thing with, you know, a safety or a linebacker because those guys at least have to cover. At least on the passing plays, there's at least more of a correlation. But everything that really involves the physicality, it's just tough to rely on. The third and final thing I would believe if I hear it coming out of training camp is anything related to the depth chart during 11-on-11 periods or really specific skill periods like red zone, third down, stuff like that. And the reason is they want to get these guys opportunities to work together as a unit. Yes, there are going to be a lot of times, especially early on in training camp and late in training camp, frankly, but they're gonna, they will mix and match. They will have seven of their starting 11 out there with four guys who may be second team, one guy maybe third team of that four, and they just want to see, okay, how do these guys work together? But what you're not going to see is four starters out there, four third teamers and, and four second teamers. That that doesn't really do a lot. Or if you see that, you may see it three or four times throughout camp or on one single day. It's it's just not something you're going to see commonly because again, they want to build this continuity. You you will see some guys who 
get a run, uh, if they're rotating on the offensive line, let's say, that's something that I would always chart. I would always see, okay, where is Chris Lindstrom as a rookie? Is he actually slotting into that guard spot? Or do they still have Ben Garland playing there more than than he is? And I would just take a note of that every single day. And more often than not, you can start to see the trend. And yes, the coaching staff will say, well, the rookie's got to earn the starting job. But we all understand, hey man, he was drafted 16th overall. He's probably going to be your starter. And if not, then we should maybe question that pick a little bit. And so they, they try to fool us, but you can't really lie when they're trying to get these guys actual reps to get them ready for the season. So that's where I would look at who's lining up regularly with the starting units, with the second team units, and the guys who are with the second team units and popping onto the first a little bit, those are probably your key rotational guys and that they want to use those guys in games a little bit more. So that's what I would, that's the final thing that I would believe is really the depth chart when they're going scrimmage, when they're going red zone third down or 11 on 11. The last thing that I would stay away from would be undrafted or under the radar guys who stand out in one-on-ones or on some team stuff. And I know, I know that those are really the most fun guys to follow in training camp. They're the underdog story. Everybody loves it. But I remember last year, two years ago, Tony Brooks James just absolutely was the fastest guy on the field. And this goes back to my thing about running backs is the number of times that it looked like he broke 60 yard runs for just breakaway touchdowns. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, how is he? He's absolutely going to be on the team. But they're, they're still under the radar and undrafted guys for a reason. And coaches, I think, do tend to give a little bit more leeway, a little bit more of the, the edge to the guys who have proven it or the guys that have a higher pedigree. And it's really hard for an undrafted or an under radar guy to make the roster, let alone come away with, you know, a, a starting spot or a key rotational role. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it often means it's going to take longer. Those guys get rewarded with great training camps by earning that practice squad spot or getting one of the final few spots on the 53 with a role to really stand out on special teams. That's how that goes. So while you may hear that, you know, Javian Hawkins or, or any of these guys blow it up and just look amazing. And again, the coaching staff, this coaching staff may reward different things they may be wanting to see an undrafted guy and make an example of him. That could happen, but generally those guys don't flash to the point that they are making an impact on the roster early on in their career. That doesn't mean that they won't later on. It just means that all of the hype we're hearing in the preseason probably leads to us questioning, hey, why isn't this guy doing more come August or September, October? It just means that he did a good enough job to make a spot on the very end of the roster and now he's got to do a really great job to continue to climb up it and that's just you know reality in the NFL all right so that is hopefully I think a little bit helpful as training camp comes around because just like you guys I'm going to be reading pretty much everything I'm going to be talking to those guys that I can uh, to get a little bit more of a, a sense of the pulse around the facility because I'm extremely interested to see how everything is conducted this year I really wish I was still around to uh, to see it all because I, I just I'm fascinated by the differences in in coaches and I'm fascinated by the differences in the way that uh, organizations are structured, the things that different people value. You know, some people value analytics more. Some people value rest over you know working everybody to the death. Some people value you know the the competitiveness. Some people value specialization. All of that stuff, and so 
uh, uh, that's what I'm really going to be kind of keeping an eye on is just what are the differences in these coaching styles and, and in the way that things are set up? And the answer is there may not be that big of a difference, but it, it's really the the truth lies in the details. And it, that's what I'm excited to see along with a lot of these younger, newer players and, and just what is their ceiling. And, and then guys like Chris Lindstrom, how good can he be? Can he take the next step? Can Caleb McGarry next to him take the next step? So all of that stuff uh, I will be talking about in the coming weeks. Uh, I hope you guys join me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, before we get to my interview with Josh Harris, which was awesome, we, we went into a lot of detail about his role specifically on the team, which is one of the most unique roles in sports because at once you're throwing the ball <laughs> between your legs back to uh, uh, either a holder or a punter and everything's got to be in rhythm and right on the money. And then you've got to put your head up and block a dude who could be 305 pounds. Uh, and, and he talked a lot about that, about, you know, the guys who left tackles are getting paid the big bucks to block. He's got to sit there and, and block some of those guys sometimes too. Uh, we dove into uh, some of his memories from the 2010 Auburn National Championship team of which he was a part. So just a lot of great stuff with Josh, who is an awesome guy. But I th- I'm thinking about doing a mailbag next week. Uh, just our lead in to training camp. Uh, I don't think practices will have started yet, but the team will be back in Flowery Branch. And so just as a last chance before we really start to see everything, I want to give fans an opportunity to, to shoot me a question on Twitter. Uh, you can DM me at Will McFadden again, and just let me know what you're curious about. It could be, you know, anything that I've noticed in the past uh, that could help this year. What are my thoughts on position groups, uh, breakout guys, anything like that. So uh, shoot me a note, ask me a question. And now let's get to my interview with Josh. Falcons long snapper, Josh Harris, who has played in all but five games during his nine-year run with the Atlanta Falcons. That's a lot, dude. Now joins me. Josh, how are you doing? Thanks so much for coming on. Wait, Will, I appreciate you having me on, man. Doing great. Uh, summer is, is fastly uh, approaching being over for us, and training camp is right around the corner, so fired up to, uh, to give it a go in year 10. This is the time when you get the most rest, right? You know, it's, it's between... Is, is it, like, earlier on in the offseason, around... March and April while the draft stuff is going on, or is it June, early July? Yeah, I mean, I would say most uh, most of the rest comes immediately right after the season. Uh, I mean, I'll take a few weeks, maybe a month off, and just kind of let the body regroup, spend a lot of time with the family uh, and stuff like that. But then, you know, pretty much right after the Super Bowl ends, uh, my training begins. And, you know, that's usually when the hardest work uh, is put in, you know, just kind of building a, a good base uh, to get you into the, you know, training or get you into OTAs, mm-hmm. um, the spring, get you through the summer and just kind of, you know, slowly build, build up. So as you get closer to training camp, you know, your body's ready to go and, and uh, it's time to, uh, to strap it up. So what does an offseason kind of workout schedule look like for you? I know that there's this tight end summit and wide receivers get together and quarterbacks. I, I can't imagine all the long snappers meet up and, uh, and do their stuff. So what kind of training do you do? I think I was listening to a podcast recently where Andrew Whitworth, um, said that kind of as he progressed in his career, he stopped doing so much running and cardio and found other ways to like hiking. He got really big into hiking and he found out that he kind of came back in the same 
shape as if he was really putting a lot of strain on his body. So going into year 10, how has your offseason plan kind of evolved? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the it's changed a little bit, but really not that much. Um, you know, there's an old saying, you know, dance with the girl that brought you. And <laughs> so that's kind of the, the mantra that I live by. You know, it's stuff that's worked for me uh, up to this yeah. point. You know, it's, it's stuff that I go back to each and every off season. And, uh, you know, it, I guess the way it kind of breaks down is uh, early on. I mean, it's pretty much it, it'll start out, you know, maybe three days a week, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, split with with mainly strength training, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of cardio mixed in there, maybe a Peloton ride or something like that. <laughs> but um, then as, as you get closer to it, then it's pretty much every day, um, you know, upper body, lower body. Uh, and then once I get snapping again, give it a, you know, a few weeks, you know, off, maybe a month or so off of, mm-hmm. of not snapping and just lifting and running. Uh, then I'll start to snap again and then just slowly kind of get back into it. You know, that might be one day a week and then it progresses to two and three and, you know, so forth and so on. And so um, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you kind of have to give your body time to, to regroup and recover, you know, from doing that same motion so many mm-hmm. times uh, throughout a season. But then, Hey, there's always things that, that you're, you know, trying to, you know, work on trying, you know, things that you're trying to get better at that, uh, that that's the time, that's the time to do it. You know, there's no scoreboard out there when, uh, you know, in, in, in the middle of, uh, in the middle of April, when you're, uh, you know, when you're, when you're going through it then. And so that, that's the time to, to practice some things and really fine tune anything that, uh, that you need, need to work on. So that's really interesting. Uh, hearing you talk about kind of like the specific strain it takes from doing the same motion over and over. And I think, you know, the most popular version of that is probably a pitcher in baseball and just the way that throwing that hard and from kind of an odd arm angle just takes its toll by the end of the season. Like what's sore for you? Is it, is it lats? Is it shoulders? Is it tricep? I mean, like what really specific part of your body takes the most toll from that motion? Uh, well, I mean, my, my back will get a little bit sore, you know, my shoulders, uh, things like that. Sometimes my elbows just from that, that repetitive motion. So very similar, like you're saying, you know, with a pitcher, I mean, it's a, it's a specialist position, you know, and nowadays in the game, in the game of baseball, you know, there's a pitcher for every situation, you know, so it's very similar, uh, in that, in that aspect as well, but kind of going back to what you said about, you know, the tight end summit, um, you know, there isn't, I mean, I, there are some, some groups of snappers that get together. And uh, for years, I would go out and train with John Carney oh, nice. uh, out in California for, for a week um, or, uh, before training camp would start. And there'd be a gr- good group of snappers uh, out there. And, but typically, I would just take that time to, to work with, you know, our punter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the time, it was Matt Bosher. And, you know, th- we would take that time, just kind of get away, focus on football for a little while. And, and um, and get our stuff going and, re- and ready to go. But here in Atlanta, there's a lot of a lot of really great, talented snappers at every level, high school, college, um, mm-hmm. the pro pro level as well that live pretty close by. So, you know, we'll just kind of get a, a group chat going and say, hey, we'll meet over at this park today and we'll go and, uh, and get, get some work in and, and do it that way. And so it keeps it fresh. It keeps it fun. And, you know, then it's just a, a, a way and a place where we can bounce ideas off of each other and kind of talk about the the small intricacies of uh, of long snapping i that i love that just nerd out over over the specialist group and i had no idea that 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 happened that's really cool to learn but you brought up uh working with matt bosher i know that you also work closely with matt bryant and now uh young way and what as like a such a unique part and a unique position where you're 
part of the blockers up front, but you also have this very important goal that kicks everything off. How much would you say you're connected to the line compared to being connected with either the punter or the holder and the kicker in terms of the amount of time you spend with each unit? Well, I would definitely say that, you know, I, I'm more connected with, uh, with the specialists, um, okay. than anything, but, um, but as far as the, the line, I mean, on, on field goal, I mean, obviously those guys are a tremendous help and I rely on those guys to, you know, protect me, you know, while I've got my head between my legs and, you know, 300 pound guys trying to, to rush through the a gap and things like that, you know, particularly on field goal there. But then, you know, the punt line is made up of, of guys that play all different positions. You know, it could be mm -hmm. linebackers, they could be safeties, they could be defensive ends, you know, just all, all different body, you know, styles and position players. And so it's a good mix and a good group that, uh, you know, it's special teams is made up of everybody. You know, there's offense, yeah. there's defense. And I, you know, I had a coach in, in college that would call special teams we fence. And uh, that's, uh, that, that's, that's pretty indicative of, uh, of what it is. I mean, it's kind of everybody coming together to, uh, to make it happen. So, you know, I, I assume I know the answer to this because of your previous answer. But again, knowing that you do sometimes have a 300-pound guy right across from you as you're trying to really focus and, and do your job, how much is that in your mind prior to actually snapping the ball? Or are you 100% just, I get to the line, I put my head down, and I'm focused on this job first and foremost, and you trust the guys to your right and left to maybe step in and, and shield you a little bit. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for, first and foremost, I, I have to throw a strike. I mean, my, my mm -hmm. first job, you know, it, it, my job starts and ends with throwing a good snap, whether that's on punt or field goal. And, uh, you know, as far as guys rushing and things like that, um, you know, it, it's a team effort, you know, on, on, on the punt team, my guards next to me, uh, if there's a guy in that a gap that's, that's rushing they're, they're helping me. I mean, as soon as the ball moves, they've got a handout. They're trying to stop an initial, you know, charge from that defender, you know, in the time that it takes me to recover and get my head up. Um, and the same thing on, on field goal. I mean, I'm, I'm snapping and then I'm just trying to get as big as possible and try to anchor in. And, um, you know, those guards step right behind my legs and I kind of sit back on them and, mm. Sometimes it's taking. Sometimes it's taking a charge, you know, on field goal, and and that, and that's all right. I mean, you can get run over, but you know, as long as long as you get run over in you know one point four seconds instead of one point three, then uh, then the kick's going to get off, and uh, and you and you'll be good to go. Dust yourself off and and get ready to go again. You guys have, uh, you know, you and and Matt especially, but now also with Youngway, been in some of the most memorable moments, uh, you know, throughout the last Falcons decade you think back to the, the kick in seattle um you know a lot of the big kicks that that matt's made over the years i mean does does that moment lock you in more than any other or do you just try to if if you know it's it's a big play upcoming is that when you're at your most calm because you know that you need to be how do you approach those moments yeah i mean I, i'd say that uh in those moments i mean that's really when you gotta trust your training I mean, all the work that you put in during the offseason, all the reps that you get in during practice, you know, all the, the situations that you practice, um, you know, that that's when you rely on that, you know. And, of, of course, you know, there, there's times where, you know, hey, you, you understand the magnitude of the situation, but mm -hmm. you also have to understand that you have a job to do. I mean, the same way, you know, Matt Ryan, you know, if he's getting, re getting ready to lead a, a game-winning drive, you know, down the field or – you know, a, a corner is out there, you know, guarding the other team's star receiver in a, in a big moment. I mean, 
the game is, is made up of big moments. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just the, the, the time that you spend uh, preparing for that, you know, and then ultimately is going to decide how you're going to be able to, uh, to execute in that, in that situation. And, you know, obviously a lot of your preparation is your specific job, but how many times do you look up and how many different variations of kind of a, what a defense can do to confuse you guys, whether it be, you know, stunning two guys here or just overcrowding your specific gap. Uh, how complicated can that really get for a protection scheme? Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a game within the game there. And I'll just kind of focus on punt uh, for right now, because I mean, there's field goal is there, there are some mm -hmm. things that uh, that can happen. But uh, but punt is where a lot of the, the stunts come into play. And, uh, you know, I, I could spend a lot of time talking on this and going into the weeds, <laughs> but I, I don't want to do that. I'll try to I'll try to make this, um, you know, kind of as simple as possible. But, you know, for us on the punt team, we have eight guys in there, you know, in the pocket, you know, protecting. And so it, it's a game of math, a game of numbers, you know, depending on the, you know, the defense and what they show us, if there's six guys in the box, then, you know, we have eight to block six, you know, we should be able to get that done. Uh, you know, now you add a seventh defender in there. Now the PP and myself, we're working for, you know, we're, we're working to block that guy, passing him off, as, you know, mm -hmm. sees fit. Uh, and now once you get eight or more guys into the box, that's when, I mean, it's basically man, you know, man protection and I'm responsible for a guy and everyone else is responsible for a guy, but that doesn't, doesn't mean they're just going to go straight ahead right I mean they can yeah. move they can they can line up somewhere and then as soon as you put your head down they uh they come back up you know we were talking about baseball and a pitcher same thing right a pitcher he's going to look you know look that runner off you know once maybe twice and if the runner knows he's only looking once and then he he delivers he knows as soon as he looks he can take off because you know that pitcher is going to the plate but yeah same thing same thing in long snapping I mean the head you know maybe my head comes up first and then goes down and it's just <clears throat> you try to make it not very rhythmic. Mm. Um, you know, there's no no real science to it, but you know, just trying to watch tape, you know, self scout, see what you do, and you know, hey, if you can pick up on something that you're doing yourself, the other team, you know, definitely can. And so it's important to try to mix it up, and you know, you can also you know mess with that with your cadence, uh, mm. you know, different things like that. I mean, the same thing you see going on on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do the same thing on, on punt team a lot of times too. So, um, you know, that, you know, is kind of in a nutshell, you know, pre-snap how, how it works, but, uh, you know, that you could line up, there could be five guys on the left, three guys on the right, and then you snap it. And the next thing you know, that, you know, there's a guy on the right coming at your hip and they're wrapping two guys back around. So now it ends up five guys on the right and three guys on the left. <laughs> So yeah, there is uh, and, and without, without drawing that up, you know, I know it might be kind of tough to understand, but um, again, that's where, you know, relying on, on your teammates, you know, next to you, you know, cause those, those, those guys, you know, they're your eyes, you know, when, when my head's down to deliver the snap, you know, at some point I have to not look anymore and I have to snap it and I have to be able to recover and get back and get off the ball, you know, yeah. and that, that's really the main, you know, the main difference between snapping at the, high school and collegiate level versus the pro level is having to block. I mean, the rule says that the only two guys that can leave at the snap are the gunners outside. Everyone else has to wait for the ball to be punted before they can cross the line of scrimmage. And so there's no need in me snapping and standing up or going forward. <laughs> I have to get back and I yeah. have to protect, you know, I, I could throw the best snap in the world, but if I don't block the, my, you know, my assignment, 
it doesn't matter how good the snap was because that that punt's going to get blocked and uh you know that's never a good thing so um it's just really uh, you know studying a lot of tape uh trying to you know figure out schemes that defenses run you know maybe a guy has a tell you know maybe mm-hmm. maybe he puts his, his inside foot up or inside foot back when he does a certain thing if he's going to cross my face or shoot straight to the gap and so there's uh, a lot of different variations of things that uh the defenses can run and uh, it's just kind of up to us to be able to prepare for that each and every week and study and be ready to go on Sundays. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think a lot of fans would think punt blocks are not very common, you know, they're, they're pretty rare and, and usually it's attributed to either a, a great play by a defender or a, a breakdown. But uh, you know, that's, that's something people don't think about is just that every single time you guys are out there, so many different things are actually happening and everybody just takes it for granted and kind of goes and gets concessions because <laughs> they, they don't expect anything yeah, no. to go wrong. Um, but that's a, a testament to, to all the work you guys put in. On a field goal side, more of a fun question. Have you ever had somebody just try to jump straight over your head? And does that piss you off when it happens? Yes, I've had that happen. And yes, it does piss me off because, I mean, it's there's unless one of your guards or, you know, you kind of see it happen, you know, happening mm-hmm. before you put your head down. If they time it up right, there's not much as a snapper you can do as they're, you know, jumping over your back, you know, as your head's tucked between your legs and you're, and you're snapping the ball. Um, they have made some changes uh, to, the, to the rule mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, guys have to be within, you know, the, the I guess the, the feet of the, off, of the defensive lineman to be able to do it. So that kind of prevents that running the start yeah. that, that, that you used to see. Um, you know, New England actually did that against us in the Super Bowl. Um, and it got called back uh, for, for a that, penalty. Yeah. And then um, I actually, I think it was last year, uh, Minnesota tried to do it. And we, you know, we kind of clipped his legs just enough to where, you know, he, he wasn't able to, uh, to, you know, come back down and then jump right mm-hmm. back up immediately. So, I mean, th- those guys out there, I mean, they're incredibly athletic. And so you just give them, you know, an inch of space to be able to work with. And, you know, that, that could be the difference in, you know, having a kick blocked or not. On that note, uh, whether it be as a pump protector or, you know, on a field goal unit, is there anybody that or multiple players who you just say, man, this this guy may not be known for what he does offensively or defensively, but but from a special team standpoint, he brought it every single time I faced him. Yeah, you know, over the the last few years, um, there there was a guy, uh, Corey Littleton. Uh, is, is a name that not many people may may recognize, but um, you know he, he's a starting linebacker, but he's also very active in uh, in, in in special teams, and he's been an A gap rusher and an A gap threat for you know for the last few years, and he's been really good at it, and uh, you know he's very quick, he's got a great get off, and you know what I kind of joke with our offensive tackles sometimes, I'm like, hey, the guys that you know you're getting paid you know, all that, all those millions of dollars to block on the edge, they're putting those same guys in the A gap, you know? <laughs> so these, these same, you know, these same chop swim moves that you see, you know, defensive ends using on, uh, on star tackles, uh, you know, they're, they're using those on long snappers too. And so there's a, you know, there, there's, there's a, a lot that goes into that. And, um, you know, just recently, I guess, you know, Taysom Hill, there you go. Taysom Hill was yeah. a guy that they would use uh, that the Saints would use for for a while down there, and uh, really all phases of, of special teams. But he was a good rusher on uh, on on the punt you know punt return team, and uh, I think that's the first guy that I could say 
uh, you know, went on to start a game at quarterback that uh, <laughs> that, 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 I, that I blocked on, on a punt. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting to see how a lot of guys get their start on special teams. You know, that's yeah. a lot of times how teams, uh, you know, will how, – how a guy will show a team that they can trust him. You know, and so you see mm-hmm. guys that, you know, maybe you block for a couple of years on, 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 on the punt team. And the next thing you know, they're, you know, signing the, the, this mega deal to become the next great outside linebacker or defensive end, you know, or safety and things like yeah. that. And so it's, uh, it, it's, it's really neat. I think you guys have had uh, a few players like that over the past couple of seasons. You know, I think kind of like Jaden Graham always is a star guy on, on special teams. We started seeing him gets a little bit more action, uh, Jacob Tuioti Mariner, kind of same deal. Uh, I think Foyer early on, and now we saw what he can do a linebacker. So, I mean, you guys have been really good at developing some, some special teams players. Um, But let's pivot a little bit uh, to, to one more topic that I think you might have some interesting insight on because of the length of time that you've been in Atlanta and you obviously saw life under Mike Smith and then Dan Quinn, and now the very beginning of, of the Arthur Smith era, but just broadly, what kinds of changes get made within an organization when a new coach takes over? You know, is it things like messaging just within Flowery Branch? Is it the way that practices are conducted when they're conducted? Is it meal plans? Just like from a broad 3,000 foot level, how does an organization change once a new coach arrives? Well, you know, I think that the saying, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know, doesn't really apply here. Um, but it kind of does at, at the same time. You know, there, there's there's the biggest difference, I think, with with coaching staffs changing over is just the verbiage. You know, it's, yeah. you know, on offense, you know, I'm sure those guys have been running, you know, that same play, you know, their whole career on defense. They've been running that same coverage, you know, their whole career on special teams. You know, we've been you know, doing what, what we do. And now you might just call it something a little bit different, you know? And so gotcha. there's a whole, you know, new, new lingo basically uh, that, that you have to learn, but, but each coach brings, you know, his own mentality, you know, and his own style to, uh, to the organization. And, um, you know, it, it's fun to, to be able to, to, to grow and to learn and to, uh, you know, really just, you know, be a sponge and to soak up as much as you can from any coach that, that comes in. I mean, there's always something that you can learn and there's always something that, you know, maybe a fresh set of eyes, you know, sees in you or sees in the program, you know, that, uh, that you know, if, if you're that close to it or you've been around it, maybe you didn't recognize. And so to, uh, to see each coach that I've had in my time here in Atlanta come in, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great experience and I've had nothing, you know, but the utmost respect and appreciation yeah. for the jobs that they've done and the jobs that they have, because it's not easy. You know, that this, this league, this business is a, uh, is a tough business. And um, you know, I, I'm just really excited for, uh, for this journey and this era of Falcons football to get started here soon. And um, you know, can't wait to see what the future holds. Yeah. And I, I think that absolutely, I mean, fans should be excited because I, think Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot are incredibly smart. And one of my favorite things from his introductory press conference was, you know, the ability to marry your scheme to what your players do well. And, and I think that's something all coaches try to do, but you're right in that, you know, players have been doing this sometimes just as long as, as, you know, a coach has been in a scheme type of element. And so there are ingrained abilities of players either, 
you know, really good at this and maybe struggles a little bit at this. And so how do you figure out ways to use them that take advantage of their strengths while kind of minimizing their weaknesses? And, and some coaches I think are, are better about that than others. And I think we saw Arthur Smith was really good at getting the most out of his guys down in Tennessee. And I'm excited to see what he can do with, with the guys uh, in that locker room. Um, so I think a lot of fans rightfully so should be, uh, excited for the 2021 season and then definitely beyond, uh, Ed, let's end on, on a non Falcons note, because, you know, you played at Auburn and you were part of a championship team down there during the 2010 season, which I, I mean, I, that was one of the first college seasons that I was like really locked into. So it, it stands out. And I remember going to Auburn that year uh, as, as a potential recruit and seeing Cam Newton on the sideline and being down there on the field and kind of doing the whole like Auburn Tiger thing and just remembering how huge he was compared to anybody that I was playing with it at high school. And I was like, all right, this, I'm not coming to play at Auburn. This is a different thing, but you did. And that 2010 season was electric, if nothing else. I mean, what was that like? And can you give us uh, just a favorite memory maybe that you have of that time or multiple? Yeah, it, it would definitely be hard to come up with just, just one favorite memory from that. But, uh, but you're exactly right. Auburn uh, is, is a very special place. Um, you know, I, I grew up a, a huge Auburn fan. My grandfather played there back in uh, 1957, nice. the, ironically, which was Auburn's last, prior national championship before <laughs> uh, the, the, the 2010 season. But um, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that year, it was just a, a, a culmination of, of a lot of different things. You know, we, we had gone through some tough years. Um, you know, Tuberville was fired. Gene Chizik mm-hmm. came in, uh, you know, we went to the Outback Bowl the year prior in 2009 and, uh, then 2010 came along and, you know, obviously Cam Newton came to town and, uh, you know, what, what a talent he, he was and is, uh, still. And so, you know, to have a guy like that playing quarterback for you, you know, it was hard to, you know, hard not to feel confident going into each and every game, but, but we had a, a just an incredible team. I mean, the bonds uh, that, that we built over that team and just the things that we went through and the work that we put in, uh, you know, prior to that season, it, it was, was incredible. And so to have that success, I wouldn't say we were shocked, but, you know, it, it was very welcomed. I mean, the work that you, that you do put in, uh, you know, especially at the collegiate level, balancing that student, uh, athlete, yeah. you know, lifestyle, that balance was, uh, is hard. And so to be rewarded for it in that way was, was, was even, you know, that much more, more meaningful, but I'd say, uh, one of the, I mean, naturally the biggest memory from, from that season is the national championship game and, uh, and, and, and getting to, to win that game by a game winning field goal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as a, spe- as a specialist, you know, you talk about big moments and big, you know, opportunities. I mean, that was really, I mean, we had a few other game-winning kicks uh, that that season, but you know, on that stage in that moment, you know, to go out and to be able to uh, to perform and to you know be just a small part of uh, of that operation and to watch that kick go through, uh, you know, Neil Cottle had a great hold, West Byron with a great kick, you know, the offense did a great job, you know, going all the way down the field to uh, to get us down there. I mean, goodness gracious, we were on like the one yard, one or two yard line. I mean. It was uh, it, we almost thought we scored a touchdown before that, but uh, you know I'm glad I'm glad we had a chance to uh, to ice it off. You know from the I'm glad the uh, the specialist room got a chance to uh, to get some glory in there too. But 
uh, just, just a lot of uh, great memories from that time. And, uh, you know, Auburn, like I said, is just a very special place and will always have, you know, just a very special place in my heart. Yeah, you can just go up to Cam now and say, you may have won us that uh, Alabama game. You may have won us the South Carolina game, but we got that national championship for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's actually funny. Uh, I I used to have the snap uh, to Cam during like seven on seven and things like that. And so, you know, shotgun snaps weren't an issue. But then we'd go under center, and I had never done that in my life. And I'm thinking, <laughs> we should probably have the real center doing this because the last thing I want to do is break this man's fingers, <laughs> you know, a couple of days before games, you know, you know, out, out here messing around. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, fond memories and something I'll never forget. Josh, thank you so much, man. Uh, Falcons fans, you guys can follow him on Twitter fittingly at AUJ Harris. Um, but more importantly, you can follow him on the football field on Sundays at number 47. Um, Josh, this was a lot of fun and really insightful. I, I hope a lot of people learned um, a lot about a very important but little talked about aspect of the game. And thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, Will. Appreciate you having me. Rise up, brother. I really hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Josh is just, he's so down to earth. He's one of the most real guys that I've ever come across uh, in the NFL. He has such a great perspective on, you know, both how fortunate he is, but also his role on the team. And he approaches every single day like a true pro. Uh, some of that stuff during practice is is not really fun for those guys. They're kind of off on a, a field on their own, really working that specialist uh, specialty that they need to have. But when it matters most, those are often the guys that are on the line. And, you know, I asked him about that and I thought his answer was great. It's, hey, a, a winning ball game comes down to a lot of big plays. And it just so happens that sometimes it comes down to a game winning field goal. And if if called upon, you just got to do your job because you know that everybody else did their job to put you in a position to make this happen. And, and I just thought that was great. And, you know, I, I thought that a lot of his answers were really insightful. I, I know we got somewhat in the weeds on a few of those things, but hey, I thought it was pretty fun. Um, so again, today's episode was presented by Bet Online. Uh, please send in any questions that you have for next week's mailbag. I'm hoping to get you know a bunch of them and that we can really make it a fun episode heading into what will hopefully be a fun 2021 season. So... With that being said, thank you all again. Please subscribe, tell your friends and family. Uh, And until next week, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.